0: Welcome to the Becoming Eva podcast, where we discuss real life issues from a woman's perspective. Becoming Eva
1: seeks to break the silence within the female community while fostering authenticity, transparency, and healing. We're We're your hosts, Latoya Moore and Maya Dawson. Let's get started. All right. Happy Saturday. We are live.
0: Yes, happy Saturday and welcome to episode 10, dollars and cents. Money, 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 money. Yes, yes, yes. We are talking about it today. Budget, savings, will, insurance, all kinds of great money hacks and secrets. And just to get us a better financial wisdom. We have a special guest today.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, We are blessed to have none other than economics professor Sunny Holmes, also known as my Spellman sister. Oh my goodness. Just excited to (laughs) witness the journey and to learn more about it today. So can you tell us just a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, good morning. Thank (laughs) you so much, Maya and Latoya for having me on Becoming Eva today. I am a spellman professor and economist and also your spellman sister. I'm very yes. excited to be here. And anytime that I have an opportunity to take what I've learned outside of the classroom, I'm very motivated and energized by that. So maybe I can help spread some of that to some of your listeners today.
1: Yes, excited, excited. Well, we're gonna go ahead and jump in. Toya, you, you wanna kick off what's trending first?
0: Yes. So Sunny, I know we sent out the tech sheet And we kind of flipped it up a little bit this morning, but I don't know if you've heard of um, Israel Holton, uh, that's Adrian's wife from The Real, Um, they did an interview on her show and do you know much about Israel Holton and, you know, his gospel career?
2: I'm more familiar with his music career. I'll be honest, when you guys sent the clip to me, I was unfamiliar with the hostesses of the show. So I didn't put it together that his wife was one of the commentators. So that was a surprise for me. But I do remember some of his early work. Absolutely.
0: So just to give you a little short synopsis, um, Israel divorced his wife about maybe like maybe I think it's been like 5 years.
1: Longer. And- yeah, longer than that cuz he Oh, it's has, been longer? Has, yeah, he and Adrian have been married 5 years now. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, somewhere beyond that. But go ahead.
0: So he, you know, he was very popular. I even remember him and his uh Israel and the new breed coming mm-hmm. to our church performing. Um uh, but after he got that divorce, pretty much everything went down downhill from there. And so he just produced a new single called Broken People and mm. basically he said it was inspired by the Christianity Christianity woes um, from just how Christians um, treat you once you make a mistake and you have been perceived as fallen and you know just how kind of Christians kind of write you off um, and in his interview, he was kind of talking about how, um, we're just broken people. And then what's the, why can't, um, you accept him? Like once he, um, you know, if God has forgiven him, why is it so hard for Christians to forgive him? So what are your thoughts on that?
2: When I was watching the clip of the interview, he said something And I do believe that he was paraphrasing. So forgive me, I'm paraphrasing too. He says something about how the church really celebrates when it gets sinners who have not known God before. And there's a lot of ambiguity when people who are within the church fall and it's like, well, you should have known better. You know, it's a lot of finger pointing in that sense. And I thought about that a lot in terms of what our goals are um, as believers. And as people that are looking to spread the good news, um, why is that only for folks that are outside of the church that get that sort of grace? Um, so that stayed with me for much of yesterday after you all sent out uh, that clip. And I was thinking about how we accept people from where they are and why we want to pat ourselves on the back for bringing someone in off the street when there's your brother or your sister, your sibling right there next to you and uh, they need help as well. So. I like that because I think that it takes a particular perspective from someone who's been through that type of hurt as his story, um, you know, really reflects that in order to see in someone else, you might be hurting too. And I don't know that for sure, but wherever you are, I'm going to try to meet you where that hurt is. And that's something that I can learn from.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. I, that, that stuck with me as well when I was listening to that clip. And I this week period had really been thinking about how... I need to have more compassion and more grace toward other people. Um, and, and specifically, and my husband knows this, we we have conversations about this. He kind of teases me because he's like, you know, you you've been hating on Israel, you've been hating on Adrian since they married each other. And, And I really had to do some digging. Like I forced myself to watch the interview clip that you sent, Toya. I forced myself after that to like go and listen to their love story and everything. Not because I think Adrienne's a homewrecker. I don't think she's a homewrecker. But honestly, for me, I really was grieving the loss of his first marriage. Divorce Mm -hmm. to me, it just... It hurts period like regardless of who it is. And when it comes to like gospel artists in general, I have over the years, seen their anointing directly be impacted by whatever life decisions they have made, not just Israel but I mean I can look back and run the gamut, there are, you know, several gospel artists that come to mind where, you know, they've gone through divorces or they've hit challenges in life. And to me, I can only speak for me, um, it has been reflected or, or you know, has shifted the music that they put out, you know, thereafter. Like for me, it doesn't hit the same. It doesn't sound the same. So, I mean, even for Israel, to me, I have not heard another, I am a friend of God since, got divorced and i'm not putting that on his divorce at all or on his decisions at all but i personally have just noticed like there's a shift that oftentimes happens when believers experience you know major trauma and i don't know what his healing process has been or what his journey process has been and i i believe god can and will restore and may have i have no idea but For me, I really grieved the loss of his um, first marriage, especially when there are children involved. And it was just a lot for me to process personally. And so (laughs) I have not, it's been hard. Like I said, it's been hard for me to like listen to an entire Israel song all the way through or whatever. not because I'm hating on him or or judging him, but because for me personally, it doesn't hit the same um, as it did prior to, so. I don't know, I don't know, but I wish them nothing but the best. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad he's found happiness. I'm so glad Adrian has found happiness and I'm glad that they're able to serve together. I think that's a beautiful thing. Like yeah. them ministering together, you know, she's singing with him and supporting him in his ministry and he's on her show and supporting her in her ministry. I think that's a beautiful thing. So, but it, it can get messy. It can get messy.
0: So life is all messy. <laughs> Life, life is messy. definitely messy <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely <sighs> and i i definitely think that when people are on certain platforms like everyone is focused on their lives and when it's on display when different things happen everyone has an opinion but we're not god we can't uh-huh. we don't have a heaven or hell to put people in absolutely. um you know we can't really judge because yeah. we're not we're not in yeah. their lives like that. Yeah, but I did want to give a shout out to the Atlanta Braves Uh-oh. for being, <laughs> winning the World Series. I know we had a parade yesterday in Atlanta. I did not um, participate. I don't know if you guys went, um, but you know my uh, my children's school was can- their district was canceled. Uh, they canceled school yesterday. Um, last minute by the way we got like a text Wednesday night like at ah, no school Friday <laughs> I was like what like I really felt for those people that you know maybe are single parents and didn't have like any type of backup plan or maybe had to like take off of work or lose a day's pay um but yeah but congratulations to the Braves yes Go are Braves. Of
1: y'all baseball fans either one of y'all
0: not really i went to a game uh this season but yeah you know i'm not like a diehard fan <laughs> i would say it's
1: funner to go to the games than to watch them
0: but right
2: completely agreed i've always gone to baseball games not necessarily mm-hmm. because i'm a fan but i love the atmosphere
1: yeah uh, but fine. i can't
2: replicate that in front of a television so i i wasn't keeping up but go braves absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I <think> it's fantastic <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. All right, y'all. Let's jump into the topic at hand. Money, 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 money. So we're going to start with the journey. Okay. So Sunny, if you can tell us a little bit about like how you got into economics and how you ended up becoming a professor of economics. So just kind of tell us a little bit about your story.
2: Sure. Well, the first time I took an economics class was in high school. And like many students, my social studies was taught by my athletic coach, my track coach at the time. And it was pretty much my coach getting in front of the athletes during this period and reading the text word for word right out of the economics book. And we were just kind of like zoning out and throwing stuff at each other. But one day she says uh, she asked us, rather, who the most powerful person in the world was. We were sort of joking. We were like, it's got to be Beyonce or it's got to be the president. But she said that it was Alan Greenspan. We're like, who was Alan Greenspan? And she said that he was the chairman of the Federal Reserve. And as the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, he controlled the value of the dollar. And the value of the dollar is the most demanded currency, probably the most demanded thing in the world. And I was like, who is Alan Greenspan? How have I not heard of this person? How could he possibly be more powerful than Beyonce? Right? <laughs> so when I get to college, um, I was thinking of studying music and um, music was hard, really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I found myself really struggling to keep up with one of the great uh, accompanist, keyboardist, and uh, organist of our era, Dr. Joyce yes. Johnson. She gave me a nice C in piano. And I was like, okay, where where are my other gifts at? What else can I do very well? I'm pretty good with numbers. I'm gonna do numbers, okay? (laughs) And I started looking more into the econ program. Um, As I mentioned prior to the show, I'd have the opportunity and gifts to meet Maya and her roommate when I visited Spelman prior to accepting um, my uh, offer of admission. And she showed me some of her economics work because she was an economics student as well. And I thought that she must be very smart to do this really difficult thing that I see. And so I I like a challenge. I do like numbers. Um, I like to be able to push myself beyond my limits. And I found a lane for that in economics at Spelman. Uh, Beyond Spelman, I have to admit that that lane was not as clear. Uh, Only 2% of PhDs in economics go to Black women every year. Wow. So after I left Spelman, I found that road to be not straight, not clear, there weren't good directions and I was not finding the same type of camaraderie or developing nature uh, that I had been surrounded with at Spelman because that's a place that's built for Black women to learn. Yeah, Economics is traditionally very white, very male, very Western European. And because economics is about decision-making, it's also rooted in philosophy, moral philosophy. So if you think about what Western white males were reasoning in terms of who makes decisions, who can own property, who can own other people, you can imagine that there was a very steep learning curve and a very rough road for people that did not fit into that category. So even today, we're still seeing the effects of that. Um, I found that I had a lot of struggle in graduate school. I was able to earn, very fortunate to earn my master's degree, but the Ph.D. has been extremely elusive. Mm-hmm. So all that to say is that I went back home because I could not find uh, a program that I could successfully complete. And that's actually when Spellman found me. I was teaching at community colleges because I love economics. I love teaching people about the history of decision-making and how even if they never take another economics class again, maybe the one that you do take with me might be transformative. And after hiding out because I didn't have my PhD, I went to an annual conference and I met the, the department chair of Spellman's economics department there. And I'd previously met her before, but we were reintroduced at this conference. And she said that they had been following my career. They wanted wow. me to come back and teach at Spellman. By this point, I was very honest with myself and others about what I had and didn't have in terms of my credentials. And I told her, while I do have teaching experience, I don't have the Ph.D. I'm not qualified to come back to Spelman. And she said, we want you to come back anyway because we've been watching you. And so that opportunity, that very rare, unique opportunity where my alma mater, who made me, gave me a chance, watched me as, as I left those gates and welcomed me back into them, was incredible for my confidence at that time. And this is my fourth year at Spelman. Since being back, I've sent many of my students to master's and PhD programs. And I myself uh, have been asked by Georgia Tech to come and join their program. That's going fantastic for me as I'm uh, working um, with my students and also learning alongside of them as well. So I have to admit that my journey in economics is not common But it also is proof that it's not impossible, even if you find yourself in that 2% demographic where it may seem seem impossible, there's probability there for you.
1: Oh, I love it. I love that. And I love, I mean, you know, to me, it just kind of reminds me of, you know, why we love Spelman so much too. I mean, I just got to give a plug just because, I mean, they're all, the, the institution has always been about supporting advancement of black women and it far exceeds or extends beyond your tenure while you're there like there's a network there's a community of sisterhood that exists you know beyond those four walls beyond the gates you know where we can support one another and continue to help one another advance and grow that's beautiful that's awesome wow can you define for for those that may, of course, be familiar with the term economics, but how would you define the word economics?
2: A lot of times on day one, when I'm teaching my principal students, I ask them to give me some word association. When you Mm -hmm. hear the word economics, what does it make you think of? And the most popular answers that I get back at me are money, Mm -hmm. supply and demand. They usually Mm -hmm. know to throw those things in there, but I almost never get the word choice or the word decisions. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, most of the choices that we make are about money because yeah. we're the largest economy in the world, but we make choices about how we spend our time, how we spend our energy. And we need to think about them from those basic levels of, well, if I'm doing this, if I'm doing a podcast between mm-hmm. you know 10 and 11 o'clock, I'm clearly yeah. not in bed, I'm not at work, I'm giving up the opportunity to do something else. And that's the basis of economic thinking. If I'm doing this, I'm not doing that. So is it worth it? Is it a good choice? Is it the best yeah. choice? And so, so in all things we want to end up better off than where we started, that's just the human condition. And economics is thinking about how do I make the best out of my choices? How do I do the best with what I have?
1: That is excellent because that all of that lends itself to why it's important to budget, why it's important to save, why it's important yes. to invest, why it's important to plan for your future so choices really is the core of economics that's that's awesome I love it I love it so can you share with us just some insight that you may have gotten either personally from over the years or things that you have um, shared with your students over the years on just some tips on how to make wise choices when it comes to your money and we can Mm -hmm. start from just from a budgeting stance
2: sure i think that the best way to make wise choices is to fail
1: a lot of times
2: but as you're failing you want to fail better right each time that you're doing so uh so you it means you have to have some skin in the game it means that you have to win some and lose some i believe so for budgeting i was in college at spelman when i was keeping um, a pretty archaic book of every single thing that I spent, every single thing that I got. And it was very depressing, actually, because it just wasn't a lot. Uh, sometimes it was things were negative, And I was like, oh, this is, this is not good here. But by having a safety net through my folks back at home and having to go through the whole rigmarole of knowing and having an instinct for, um, you know when I was flush with cash and when I needed to curb my behavior. Uh, I think that that's something that's very good to do during your formative years. Maybe college might even be a bit too late to, uh, in some folks' opinion, to approach that. But sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And then after I graduated from college, it was a pretty big jump because I went from mes- uh, you know keeping my my line items of all my withdrawals and deposits to working on Wall Street. And now. You know, I'm working with much bigger accounts. I mean, I, I, much bigger is an understatement here. You know, I'm working with the the titans of the financial universe. And I'm doing the same thing, though. I'm also keeping these line items. I'm creating Excel models, just like I would do for myself, uh, for what comes in and what goes out for our clients as well. Wow. So sometimes that's that's overwhelming in order to see what you have or maybe on the flip side of that, what you don't have. Um, for for your month-to-month or whatever the frequency may be. But that is an incredibly important habit for all people to have. Um, There's all the reasons why you wouldn't want someone else making your money decisions for you um, if something happens to that person, for example. Uh, Where would that leave you? So even if it's just, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, an an income, uh, an allowance for a child, a side job, if you will, I think it's good to parse up. Um, that amount allocated and and allow yourself the opportunity to learn patience for things to write themselves, for things to grow, for things for you to meet your goals there. So that's a tough one. And it's almost like working out or riding a bike because it probably doesn't feel very good in the beginning. But it's also one of those habits that have muscle memory. So if you do it years ago, you still had that instinct. It's like, okay, I need to check my spending, or this is something that I can do to increase my income years later.
0: And how did you learn how to do that? Like at what age or I know you said college is when you really started um, learning to like write it down and the line items. Like for me, my parents did not really teach me like financial wisdom. I kind of had to learn on my own um, when I was in college, but I definitely think um, I, I wish I would have had more financial wisdom, like before leaving, um, the home. So when did you learn or who taught you?
2: Yeah, I do tend to trace my kind of the beginning of that to when I'm keeping up with my deposits and withdrawals in my checking and savings account in college. I don't know that prior to that there was ever anything formal in my home, not because my family didn't have anything to impart to me, but the learning curve there was also trial and error in an instant. For context, I grew up in a multi-generational home uh, with my grandmother, her children, and a couple of the grandkids. My father was not in the picture in the home, but my grandmother, my mother, and my aunt were all very educated women. So I knew the importance of education, that was very, that was upfront. And I knew that education would give me options. But as far as the nitty gritty of finance, this is checking, this is savings, this is investing, that did not happen at home. Instead, I was taught more of an awareness about that instinct about money and how I would need to adjust my own behavior if that instinct told me so when I got to Wall Street after college, I was surrounded by a very different class of people who had grown up in a very different way. And from my conversations, in the years that I spent on Wall Street, I did walk away from that experience thinking that perhaps folks that are of a higher income class may not know more financially than people that are of a lower income class. Hmm. Rather, people that earn higher income have bigger safety nets. So investing is, is a knee jerk reaction because if I lose the money, it's okay. I still have my income so I can play around and I can get used to investing much sooner because I have a safety net in a multi-generational household. There may not be a safety net where we can pay bills and save and play around in the stock market just to see what happens. Yeah. So it's not that we didn't know or that they didn't know to tell me, but it wasn't if it wasn't, it wasn't supported, (laughs) I'll say that much, it wasn't supported by our living situation. And that may not be so much knowledge as it is circumstance. And after the market crashed in 2008, and the reasons why the market crashed in 2008, it was, was, that was greed, that was predatory lending that was trying to squeeze a dollar out of a place where there was only 15 cents. Mm. And doing so until the very last minute, Prior to 2008, I was watching people get fired for the the exact same thing that I mentioned earlier. Those line items kept becoming red at the big banks in Wall Street. And every quarter, those red line items, people would get fired at Bank A, but they get hired right back at Bank B. You made this horrible decision at Bank A that put them in the red, but next week you're now running things at Bank B? It was incestuous, and it wasn't smart. Mm. In fact, it was just a way of chasing profit. And I realized then that if you have a safety net for that sort of risk, then you'll take it. But if you don't have a safety net, it's almost more discerning and more wise that you're not involved in that, right? So um, I, I did not learn formally about finance, about investment while I was growing up, but I did learn about the instinct about when things are right and wrong. And I did learn very well about what I had and didn't have in terms of a safety net. And so during the rise and fall of that time period, I lost a lot of my personal net worth, but I understood that it was only there because of that increased income that I had, not necessarily because I was smarter or I was surrounded by smarter people, but I had a wonderful safety net. And after the market crash, that safety net dissolved and I was right back at square one. Wow. So there's something there about maybe associating rich with smart, that I kind of want to separate there a little bit. Rich may be, again, circumstantial and it's comfortable and it makes me comfortable enough to take risks that otherwise I may not take.
1: Oh, this is, this is some great, great. I was about to say good, but I, was, I had to change it to great in the middle of it because I was just <laughs> like, it's a whole nother level of just insight that you're giving. And I want to reiterate the importance of Sticking to the basics, like Mm. you talked about those line items and and noting what you have and what you don't have and and where your money is going, knowing where it's going and how important that is, whether you have a little or you have a lot and how much more, quite honestly, important it becomes when you have a lot, because you can easily fall prey to that illusion that you just talked about. Like
2: every time the market crashes, there are mortality rates that are associated with that. I want to be very clear like we do not want our money to run us. Wow. We don't want the rise or fall of our income or our accounts to determine the rise or fall of our of our lives of our well-being and so Come forth. On. And that happens every single time. Yes, we're in the United States. Yes, we're big and bad in the economy, but people get locked into their identity gets locked into what they have and mm. when what you have is is that tenuous? Is, is that, is that ephemeral? Then that means that your identity as well being, you know, wrapped up into that can be, um, can be at risk there. So Great. having that instinct, having that instinct to know that this is what I have, but this is not me. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe a, a, a time period in which, and I should say that too, at times we have more and at times we have less mm-hmm. and those line items and keeping up with those line items are ways to uh, ride that wave, right? So you know what it feels like to have a lot and you know what it feels like to have uh, very little. And that's something that should be expected in a market economy. That's the whole reason why you see the business cycle like a roller coaster. because when you start coming down off that hill, your stomach is in your throat. So how can you handle your stomach being in your throat? Because I'm, I'm telling you it's gonna happen. Hopefully yeah. that hill won't be as steep as the 1930s or 2008, but it's absolutely going to happen. Mm. So you need to be able to ride that wave to be able to go up and down that roller coaster with more confidence than this is how much I have in my account.
0: Yeah. You talked a little bit about stocks and investing. And uh, the majority of society, a lot of us live from paycheck to paycheck and are not really good at having like a savings and a budget, but how important do you think it is to invest your money in different things, whether you live from paycheck to paycheck or you have a surplus of money?
2: I do not think it is incredibly important to invest your money into certain things if you're living paycheck to paycheck. It's a great idea to set aside for, but do not invest your money if you're not saving. Um, There should be a hierarchy there. So first you should be, be able to cover all your bills. Then you wanna save for the rainy days, for the sickness, for the pandemic that we never knew was coming.
1: Any percentage you would recommend starting with for saving real quick?
2: I have to admit that um, just looking at the last couple of years as we've moved into this pandemic, adjusted and are still making those adjustments, having about three to six months worth of savings is a humongous number for many people, but it also is very realistic given how long it may take you to find another position if, for example, you were laid off or sick, right? So sometimes that amount of savings is going to depend on economic conditions. But I think that generally speaking, when people say six months worth of living expenses, that's a goal. And I think that that's a great goal to have because anything could happen. Uh, Being able to set that money aside while you're covering your day-to-day expenses, I think is a a feat, (laughs) something to be celebrated. And then at that point, I would only feel comfortable telling people, well, listen, you've covered your day-to-day. You've covered your uncertainty now's a great time to go into the market because the market on its face is also uncertain. So nothing that we're putting into the, it's it's a gamble. I know I'm not, if I was still on Wall Street, they wouldn't want me to use that word, but that's exactly what it is. And you want to, and I mean, you can, you can find um, investments that are less risky or more risky, depending on what you're able to handle, but it's all risk. So I would not advise someone to invest if they had not been aggressively saving. And the other reason is not only because you want to have the amount of money, but to reap the rewards of investing, to reap the rewards of saving, to reap the rewards of eating well, to reap the rewards of going to school, you have to be patient. Mm. And that has to also be a habit that you learn in addition to those line items. like you got to be able to do something today. Put my little $2 out of my check to check into a savings account and let that thing sit there for a year or two. Otherwise, how if I can't do that with two, how will I do that with two thousand or two million? Right. Correct. So patience is a virtue and it's a virtue for all things that we want to get a payoff from in the future.
1: Very good. Where how would you or what are some steps that you would recommend for those that are in a position where they're covering their daily expenses? You know, they have three to six months of savings and they want to you know, start the process of investing, but they know nothing. Like they know not where to begin. They don't know how much to start with. They don't know anything. Like, what would you recommend for someone like that?
2: All right. So if you are starting fresh, um, understand that this is an information game. So Mm -hmm. I need to know, uh, what makes something profitable before I put my money into it and I need to be convinced. So, uh, first step is there's fake news everywhere. All right. Um, so, um, reading is fundamental uh at the time that i was working on wall street straight out of college mind you i was an intern uh for years while i was at spelman and then i went to an analyst position but i was reading somewhere between 15 and 20 publications a day just in order to stay up on what was on the market and that was coming from a wide range of leanings if you will center left and right just in order to really get a pulse as to what was happening on the market and that was when i was working there As someone who is passively involved in the market, I still want to put the emphasis on reading and making sure that you just understand the jargon so that way you can't be taken for a ride because, well, you're going to be on the roller coaster ride anyway, but (laughs) you want to know what you're getting into, right? (laughs) Um, So learn the jargon. Again, this is a long game in patience. What does it mean to trade on the margin? What does it mean to uh, buy a call or put? And that may require, uh, you know, some me search on the internet. Maybe you're signing up for a class. I would never tell anyone to just start trading on their own. I would absolutely say you should have a trade, uh, a broker mm-hmm. or if you are going to do so. Um, there. I think there are very accessible platforms that make day trading, that make it simple, but again, It has to do with your level of comfort for for what you're willing to risk and what you may be willing to lose, because it's Mm -hmm. all going to be a gamble. Second thing I would say is that in the United States, pretty much all of us own things that may be public companies. When companies go public, that's a way for them to raise more money. It's also a way for them to market themselves to a broader audience for their uh, products or services. So I would look around at the stuff that you like. And I'd see if they have a stock symbol, something that we can look at. Well, how is, you know, um, how has Apple been doing over time, right? How has Zoom been doing over the last two years? And that gives us some idea um, as to how they may be in the future. So in finance and economics, behavior plays a big role in decision making. And what happened yesterday may give us some insight to what's going to happen tomorrow. So if yesterday Zoom was zooming and it was going up, then tomorrow, that may be the case too. So I would make a list of things or uh, brands that you're interested in, and that would be a good way to just see where they've been and start thinking about where they have going, but give yourself some time to sort of track that. And uh, let's see, I would say that there are a lot of communities, community-level groups that I think are really trying to make um, a lot of impact by bringing in new investors. I know in the AUC, there's... Um, small student groups that are constantly posting photos about different types of investments. I know cryptocurrency is very popular for new investors these days and also um, NFTs. Um, And then beyond that, uh, there are also organizations that are um, not organizations, excuse me, but social media platforms rather Reddit. right? Uh, last year we were looking at the craziness of Robinhood as a platform and how they were pushing that stock and AMC. And it's just like, wait a minute, GameStop and AMC, why would that even matter? But if you have a group of people that are watching this and are locked into it, it, it becomes um, uh, very um, important there. So I bring those up because there are lots of groups that are around to help new investors. I also bring those up because there are lots of groups that are around that can easily mislead new investors too. Yeah. So in this era of fake news, in this era of misinformation and disinformation, you have got to trust your gut, but you've also got to check, double check and triple check your sources. All right. So everything that, is uh based in finance it should have a it should have a uh, trail of receipts some documents right i ought to be able to go right back to this is how we know how the uh, stock behaved over time this is how i know uh, that the board of directors is trustworthy and they make good decisions all of this is going to have a paper trail so you don't have to flip a coin or google honestly Uh, you should be able to find um the truth about where you're putting your money before you put your money in there
1: that's good that's good Oh, I was going to ask before we get into planning for the future, I know um, with investing, there are a lot of apps out there, you know, and I know you mentioned having a broker. Uh, do you have any recommendations? Like, do you recommend having a broker, like a person that you actually talk to that, you know, maybe at your bank or wherever that you're making those decisions with? versus okay acorn or you know something else out there where it's like all right i'm just gonna take five dollars and invest in zoom because i researched that it's done well over the last two years and
0: you get what i'm saying like yeah i wanted to ask that too because my husband does forex um trading and i know bitcoin is uh becoming more popular so i just wanted you know what yeah. wanted to know your thoughts on trading forex, Bitcoin? Um, I know because you mentioned like the value of a dollar.
2: Yes, yes, and the value of the dollar changes every day, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every single day, but many times a day. Both of these options are have a certain level of risk that's built into them, okay? Um, I don't want to say you have to talk to a professional because what if that professional doesn't have your best interest at mind? We just saw that in 2008. All of the professionals I worked with in New York City on Wall Street were trying to line their pockets and not wow. those of the people in the houses that they were bundling up and selling. So I don't think that it's fair to say you have to trust a professional, but... If this is your first time and this is your money, now on Wall Street, I was trading someone else's money, but if this is your money that you're trading, I think you ought to be very transparent and you ought to receive very transparent information. So if I'm paying for someone as a broker to explain to me, like I expect we're gonna sit there, we're gonna have some coffee and you're gonna go over every single word with me so that I understand. Amen. (laughs) But we know that this is 2021, everyone has a, mobile, uh, you know, something in their hand that can do every possible thing. So I don't have to go into a physical brokerage house and sit down and talk to a person in order to invest. Yeah. I can absolutely just, you know, talk to someone who's trading Forex or they have Bitcoin machines in the, you know, ATM machines. I have no idea what they actually do, but they're there.
0: Right.
2: (laughs) So again, we come back to this concept of risk. I think that the knowledge of how to invest, how to to trade and the accessibility for how to invest and how to trade is like the field is flat. You can do it whether you're rich or poor, but your risk levels are going to be very different depending on where you're coming from. So you're going to have to use some some integrity there, some financial integrity. Do I have enough save that I can start being risky with 4X crypto or even something basic like maybe I'm just, you know, buying land or or construction companies, something like that. Do I have in place I'm covering my bills, my savings are stacked up and there's nothing that's uh, demanding that amount. Maybe that's a good time for you to start playing on your own. Right. Very small just to see what you can handle. Um on the other hand, sometimes we can handle things until we can't. Again, it's a market economy. It goes up and down. There's a roller coaster. Things are great until they're not. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some balance between what your goals are for investing in the first place. Are you doing it trying to get rich? Are you doing it because you like to learn the market? Are you doing it because maybe you're bored? You just have a bunch of money and this is just something that you can do. I think that these are the type of questions that work into your risk level and And if you are buying from someone that you know or don't know, kind of this direct transaction, that's going to be inherently risky, period. Mm. It is. Um, You can't necessarily go back to that person and say, hey, I want my money back. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, you can, but (laughs) I'm not (laughs) sure if you're going to get it. But with the brokerage house, there is, um, while there is more accountability, you're still going to get the same small print. This is risk. And you put money in doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get money out. Um, knowing that, knowing that your money is what is at risk when you are paying to a brokerage house or when you're paying to someone that a friend of a friend knows, um, there's no guarantee it's going to come back to you at all. So that's
0: the bottom line. Awesome. Thank you so much. Lots of words of wisdom. So let's get into planning for the future. How important is it to estate plan? Now, Mm -hmm. I know some people may not have like a lot of assets, maybe just a house, but how important is it versus someone that may have like a business or just more real estate or, you know, different things? How important is estate planning?
2: Yeah, I think it is important, Latoya. Um, at every stage in our life, our spending changes. Um, sometimes we spend more when we're younger because maybe prior to having families or households, I don't have to say it as much. But then as we move into our uh, adult years, our middle age years, our spending habits change as our lifestyle and our household size changes. And then at some point, maybe many people become empty nesters. Their children are self-sufficient. Um, And the work that they've done for all those years is now their income because they're no longer maybe physically capable to go to work. So in economics, we recognize these lifestyle changes when it comes to spending, saving and consumption. And for that reason, yes, I do think that estate planning is important at every stage in your life, whether you have a lot of assets or whether you have no assets whatsoever. It's a way of long-term planning. It's a way of getting into this habit of being patient and also setting goals that are way in the future um, that we're doing a little bit for today. So um, when you asked me earlier about the importance of those line items and and how we're keeping up with our deposits and our uh, withdrawals, I think this is another very good habit to get into, planning for the long future. Um, and planning for uncertainty, right? Like, I don't know when, you know, how long I'm going to be here, but let me go ahead and make my plan for my 20s. Okay, well, here I am in my 30s with my partner, with my children. I now own a home. Let me tweak that plan a little bit. In the 40s, I'm expanding, or maybe I'm downsizing because of a recession. So let me tweak that a bit. But I think it gives you a lot more confidence to move through different stages of life and different seasons of our economy um, when you have already gotten into the, habit of long-term planning such as what is required for estates.
1: that's really good what are some practical steps that you can give to someone that may not have a plan in place may not know anything about creating a will it may freak them out even like okay what what do i do do i go on legal zoom do i call a lawyer do i write it down just write a letter a list you know what i mean like what are just some practical steps you can give to someone as where to start
2: yeah Yeah, that's, that's good. I think that maybe in Black American communities, and Mm -hmm. I'm just speaking because I'm from Texas and my whole family's been from Texas since forever, but there are some stigmas, maybe some taboos that we have about thinking too far ahead into the future because there's enough to worry about today. So don't bother me with that. I think a lot of that has to have a conversation from within our homes because that's why we're making these decisions in order to make sure that our offspring are taken care of. Or, um, you know, if anything happens to me, God forbid, I want my mom to be taken Mm -hmm. care of. Right. So I think that that has to be a decision because she's her, her goals are probably the same for me as mine are for her. She wants me to be okay. I want her to be okay. So maybe that's an opportunity for us to collaborate and try to bridge that very, prickly conversations, sometimes which we may even see as unnecessary what happens in the event of fill in mm-hmm. the blank um but i will say this and i'll share this with uh you and your audience personally um i did grow up in a multi-generational home and some years ago i lost about half of my family members for various reasons uh, it was just it was just a time a season mm-hmm. and so myself my mother and my cousin mm-hmm. um, We're here loving and planning, you know, but there's a lot of a lot of loss uh, that Mm -hmm. we've uh, experienced together. And we've thought about what that experience was like as a multi-generational home who it felt like we would always be there. And, you know, very quickly, it's like, wow, like, you know, it's the three of us now making very different choices. It, it was if it, it made us feel better because my grandmother had the business mind in order to force us to do those things. Mm-hmm. And after her death, we were so prepared, even when we were still in the midst of grief and when we were still in the midst of caring for my aunt at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. That was invaluable. Yeah. that we had already crossed that bridge, that we had already had those tricky conversations, those uh, you know, those conversations about the what if and this could happen. Because when it did happen, I, I, we weren't in the mindset and we weren't prepared. Mm. So that sort of preparance just allowed us to just grieve in peace, to love each other in peace. And today, well, today we can look back and it wasn't an experience that, It didn't kill us. It did make us stronger. It did hurt and it it still does hurt. And and the trade-off, of course, we would rather have our family members here than not. But the fact that they're no longer here with us, we can continue, we can go on without having to worry about financial ruin, without having to worry about what if this happens to you. And I think that that peace of mind has helped us to live somewhat fuller lives in light Mm -hmm. of that pain. Yeah. I know that that's kind of a fuzzy answer. I, I do know that, but I think that there's something to be said, especially in communities of color, because we tend to shy away from conversations about death because death is always so prevalent around us, anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. But how? But, do
2: you, mm-hmm. Please, please. How yeah. do you
0: how do you talk to your parents um, if they don't have a will? And right.
1: Right. <laughs> you, that's real. You know, yeah.
0: Because you, know, you we've tried it's a hard conversation to have you don't want to think about it but we know we we we're all going to have to go someday yeah um so how and I have a big family with a lot of siblings brothers and sisters like I foresee like issues happening if my parents you know don't have a, a will on file and it's kind of hard to navigate that conversation um, but it's a real conversation that we need to have because mm-hmm. it's inevitable. It's going to happen someday. Mm-hmm. And I just know people like siblings could bicker and fight about different things. So how do we go about having a conversation?
2: Oh, that is a good question, Latoya. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I can honestly, um, I, I really do not have very much beyond my own experience in terms of this conversation. And I know that it was my grandmother and she had three children. Mm. Um, actually, her son, the middle child, passed away first. And that was a huge surprise. Wow. So we all, were all sitting around just trying to figure out what happened mm-hmm. and why and how did this like, you know, the whole idea that we feel so deeply that children are not supposed to die before their parents are. Right. And so we were thrust into this situation where we were like, just stunned with how quickly that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned that my grandmother was business minded. She owned property, she was educated and she had, uh, been married for much of her adult life, um, until, she decided to leave her husband for better opportunities for herself and her children. Mm -hmm. So that that I think is absolutely integral to my particular story that my grandmother had already been in the habit of making these short-term decisions today that weren't gonna pay off until the future. And she was used to looking uncertainty in the face. And then that coupled with the fact that we were thrust into my uncle's passing in such a way that we had, it shook us all up. Uh, my grandmother was older. My my aunt at the time had a lot of health issues. So just like you were saying, Latoya, we knew that things were going to be inevitable. Maybe that incident with my uncle's passing just put us on the fast track for thinking about that. Because in hindsight, I'm not sure how we would have broached that conversation if it wasn't forced upon us. And I'm not I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm I am very proud of my family the way that they stepped up to the plate in the midst of what was happening. But I would have understood if, if we would have been like, no, this is just too much right now. I can't think about it. So, um, find, maybe find an ally or two. I think that, I think that, I think that I could depend very much on my cousin Trey because he's just a solid rock. <laughs> I know that my mom at the time that all these things were happening while she was while she ended up being primarily the matriarch of our family after the smoke cleared, so to speak, she was also carrying the weight of the deaths of her mother and her siblings. So I found my rock in Trey, and I'd, I'd like to think that Trey found his rock in me. So it didn't need to be all the family coming to a consensus, but we did need to have a couple of people that were on the same page. So that way we could kind of navigate through this together. Um, that is my honestly best answer. You, you got me thinking now since so like, how did we survive? But going back to the beginning of our conversation, it was truly just by the grace of God, because we were very broken at that time. Mm-hmm. And there were just people that were just very patient and loving with us. And we had to learn to be very patient and loving with ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we also had to push ourselves a little bit. Like we, we know that we're not here forever. So, so let's make decisions that can Add more life to our years and more years to our life. That's my mom's favorite saving. She loves to say that. So
1: yeah. that's good stuff. Oh, I, yeah. I, it to your point, Toya, is not something any of us want to talk about, but I appreciate the fact that Sonny, you shared, especially in the case of when your grandmother passed. That because you all had something in place, you were free to grieve and to just, you know, love on one another and love each other through the loss. Because oftentimes we've seen it, I know I've seen it personally. If nothing is in place, it's like you have to put grief on hold because you're trying to figure out A, how do we pay for this thing? B, who's getting what? C, you know, are there broken relationships? Are there arguments? Is there forgiveness? Is there resentment? So, Um, That in and of itself is a huge win that you are free in that moment to grieve and walk through the grieving process, because that alone is huge and ongoing process, quite honestly. Um, But I was also going to suggest for you, Toya, is as you are going through the process, maybe share that you're going through that process with your parents and then say, hey, how are you all in that process? Or where are things going? You know, kind of in a non-threatening, non-oppositional way. I mean, to Sunny's point, definitely having some allies would help if you have some sisters or siblings that are on, you know, that are on board and and kind of coming from another angle as well. But if you start with, this is what we're working on, this is what we're doing, how are things going with you? That might at least kind of crack the door. I don't know if it's going (laughs) to open it, but it might at least crack the door, you know, to have, to start the conversation.
2: That's, a, good That's point. a really good point. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah. I know that when we were going through that season, my mom would sometimes say that she would be frustrated because other people, maybe sometimes other family members would kind of look at our household and they would feel sorry for us. Like, mm-hmm. man, y'all suffered so much. How are y'all going to get through this? And my mom would be frustrated because she didn't feel sorry for herself. hmm But also she said, this is, this is just, I mean, we were prepared for this. Like we were brought to this and we're going to get through this. Like you don't have to look at us and be sorry for us. Come on." And that was very inspiring too, because even in the midst of her pain, she was like, but I can, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes sense there, but just the fact that we were okay, even though we were hurting very much. My mom said that the things that you think that we're concerned with, we're not. Come on. We we, we can actually celebrate, you know, the lives of our family members without having to be at each other's throats, without having to consider, well, what did you get or without even having to figure out how we were paying for things. So, yeah, it was really sad, but we were in a position where we could be very sad. And that was that was it. Mm -hmm. And And at the time we needed that. So,
1: yeah, no, that's good. Whew, Sonny we could talk to you all all morning but we're not we're not we Um. I, I do want to ask real quick as, as we start to wrap up Um. can you talk a little bit about the difference between whole life and term insurance Um. like Ooh. can you share the differences of those or any insight regarding those
2: yes I wonder if I missed this question I can tell you
1: I, I know right you, You're like, you snuck that one up on me
2: oh wow that's that's, that's- I think I might think I have glazed over that one. So my my knee jerk reaction is that uh, term life insurance is temporary, Mm -hmm. uh, probably based on your financial position for the long run. We're talking about saving today or making small decisions today for the future. So my understanding is that term life is temporary. Whole life is literally that your entire life. So going back to that life cycle of how we spend and how we save, If you have a better idea of your spending and saving habits because you've been, you know, on the grind, making those line items, whole life would probably be more feasible for you to make sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Term life may be a stepping stone to get to a whole life insurance plan, but the ultimate goal for either type of contract would be the peace of mind, making sure that your family, your loved ones are being taken care of and knowing that we're all going to end up at that point as at as, as some time, um, over its lifetime, the whole term insurance would undoubtedly be less expensive. So the sooner that you can get the, um, the patience in order to make that investment today for your whole life, then the better off you'd be and better off your family could potentially be. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. All right. Thank you. I know we came at you with all kind con- from every angle, but all kinds of <laughs> y'all brought it
2: this morning. That's good.
1: <laughs> like chip, sonny. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for hanging with us. Oh, I know it was a lot. Is there anything in closing that um, anyone wants to share, We're just you know, closing tips or or money hacks or um, any anything that you would like to share on how people can maximize their money, their finances? Uh-oh.
2: Oh, oh. Uh, I just want to say thank y'all so much for having me. I really enjoy talking <laughs> to intelligent people, um, smart women, and engaging Yay. black women and i can't wait to tell my students about this yeah and i uh i'm looking forward to maybe coming back and joining you all again in the future Absolutely. for your audience out there um you know y'all just be easy make smart choices but be easy on yourself you know like this is all a, a training ground it's a sandbox and uh, no matter where you are or how old you are um there's always room
1: for improvement but be easy on yourself like you got this you can do it good stuff wow Absolute pleasure, Sonny. All right. So do we want to talk any top picks of the week? Any books, shows, podcasts, uh, influencers, anything, apps, resources you would recommend, uh, you know, regarding, it could be regarding finances or just regarding life in general, but.
0: Well, oh, go
1: ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I don't really listen to any financial podcasts I'm, uh, probably more social than anything, but what, what are you listening to or getting into these days, Latoya?
0: Well, I was just going to say me and my husband, we just finished the, um, Colin Kaepernick in black and white, um, series on Netflix. Ah. It, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, okay. I know there's a lot of people <laughs> that have got some negative opinions about it. Um, probably because of the first episode I don't know if you guys have watched it yet um, about the symbolism between slavery um, and like you know how they pick players it's very very similar but um, I enjoyed it I definitely think it's eye-opening I don't think people should be so uptight about it Um, I don't know why people get so offended when people tell their stories i mean it's his story from mm-hmm. his perspective um so i don't think people should get offended about it i've i definitely could relate to a lot of the things that were said it was wow. really good yeah
2: i thought it was very good very good series um and i didn't know that i was going to be so involved in it but i just binge watched the whole thing <laughs> in one sitting yeah oh,
0: <laughs> oh wow well, it took it. us a couple days but it was really good <laughs>
1: I have not seen anything I've heard about it but I have not seen it yet. How many episodes is it? I think it's
0: like 7 uh, maybe. 6 or 7, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. All
1: right. Check it out. It's really good. Cool. Anything else for anyone else?
2: Um the podcast that I've been listening to this uh, for this last few weeks is called Straight White American Jesus. Oh wow. <laughs> it's a couple of um um, religious professors who were previously evangelical Mm. and are no longer evangelical. Okay. And the content of the podcast is really talking about, uh, looking at how Christianity and in particular evangelical Christianity has really permeated just society in general and really just challenging the way that it appears outside of the church. Mm. It has been amazing. Like There have been so many things that, and I I am not evangelical, although I am Mm -hmm. a believer, but there are so many things that, you know, perhaps have been rooted in um, that part of the church that have made them, have seeped into my own thought processes. And I just find it very interesting um, just thinking about, you know, the bigger picture of how religion um, and other people's religion even uh, kind of impacts our society. So, straight white American Jesus, couple of religion professors. I think it's a pretty cool um, podcast. There
1: are the professors straight white, straight and white, and evangelical.
2: Th- that is a good question. They're no longer evangelical. <laughs> one uh-huh. of them, I'm pretty sure, is white. The other one, I'd I'd have to make some conjectures there because uh-huh. his last name, I'm not quite sure what's happening with that. But my 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 overall. Um assessment is that they are in fact straight, white, and American and they're calling out straight, That's white, American amazing. Jesus.
0: amazing. That yeah. sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. I want to check that out. Wow.
2: <laughs> I would love to hear you all's thoughts, especially being that you are experts in this field if you were to catch an episode or two, so let me know. Wow.
1: Good stuff. All right. Well, I don't, honestly, I don't think I have anything this week. I was combing my brain, but y'all got gave more than enough, so Have at it, team. Have at it, Becoming Eva (laughs) community. (laughs) All right. What's our challenge for this week, Toya?
0: To research one of the money hacks that we talked about today and implement it in your life. And don't forget to email us or DM us at Becoming Eva today with topic suggestions. Next week, we're talking about surviving the holidays. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at becoming even today. And that's one word. See you next time. See you soon. Bye. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Click subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast. Check us out at becomingevatoday.com or
1: email us at becomingevatoday.com. See you next time.